Welcome back to the Mackinac Michigan Show, brought to you by the Mackinac Center's Frank Beckman Center for Journalism here on WJR. I'm Kelly Cobb. I'm Jarrett Skorup. And the marijuana industry, the, the next two segments are going to be fun. We're talking about drugs and alcohol. So we're, we're going to start with drugs, though. Uh, the marijuana industry in Michigan, huge. Uh, it's grown enormously in the past few years. But its start was, was very rocky. And the feds just announced charges against the former House Speaker Rick Johnson and two or maybe three, Dustin can clear this up, lobbyists for accepting bribes while he chaired the Medical Marijuana Licensing Board in the early days of its existence. Here to fill us in, Dustin Walsh with Cranes Detroit. Welcome to the show. Thanks, guys. So so give us a backstory here. Rick, Rick Johnson was the Speaker of the House. He then gets appointed by Rick Snyder to run the, the to be the first chair, is that correct, of the Medical Marijuana Licensing Board? And and. How how did the rollout of weed really come to be in the state of Michigan? I recall it being a sort of a clunky mess, how people got licenses, who got licensed. And and on top of that, didn't we pass a reform like 10 years prior to it even starting? Right. Yeah. So the original vote was in, oh boy, I think it's 2008 was the original vote, whether mm-hmm. voters uh, wanted to allow medical marijuana in the state. They voted overwhelmingly yes. Um, and then it took, yeah, it almost uh, it almost took a decade to really get the rules uh, in place. Um, there were several lawsuits back then in the early 20-aughts, and things just never really panned out. Finally, when Snyder came in, um, he sort of wanted to get this kind of rolled out in, in a way to, to make the voters' will, so to speak, uh, matter. And uh, they did so. Um, Rick Johnson was actually speaker until 2015 and then had left to be a lobbyist and then came back. Uh, when Snyder appointed him to the head of this board. Um, and just the way things were set up back then was, yes, very clunky. No one had really known how the rules were going to pan out. And so they wanted to sort of create this, this slow roll this process out where people could apply, to, you know, they had to meet all these different um, guidelines and rules, and you would apply for a license. Um, but that process was so slow. The, the regulatory boards were understaffed. Um, and so it just wasn't happening very quickly. And people, meanwhile, meanwhile, had you know millions of dollars wrapped up in these businesses that couldn't operate. Mm-hmm. And so really, that's what made it because it was a board that was sort of you know filled seats by with politicos. It made it very sort of ripe for potential corruption. Yeah, and, you know, it's an it's an interesting thing of you know, obviously there's all kinds of trouble uh, within the drug industry, um, illegal drug industry, just by having it be illegal, which means People that are sharing drugs, doing drugs, are outside the law. Legalizing it kind of helps with that problem. But um, is the is the thought process here, Dustin, a little bit that the regulations were so high that that still drew in um, a lot of lobbyists? It still drew in a lot of companies that were willing to pay these types of bribes to navigate a system that was still because it was it was still fairly restrictive. Yeah, I mean, it was a little bit that, but more it was. It, I mean, really, what happened was. When you looked at Colorado, Washington State, and even Oregon, which were legal before us, there was sort of what we call a gold rush. You know, people wanted to get out there. They saw millions of dollars on the line here. Um, and so these people that, you know, the, the, the way the state requirements were is you had basically had to have everything lined up before you can get a license. I mean, you had the building. You had to have, I mean, you had to be almost, mm. you know, ready to open. And so when there was all these hangups and these slow rolling approvals and lawsuits that would slow everything down, you know, you basically invested a bunch of money, and you can't reap the rewards for that. And so that's really what made it ripe for, you know, all these lobbyists to sort of play in that field and sort of, you know, you know, grease some hands to to make things move a little quicker. 
um, you know, in, against the rules, so to speak. So what were the charges that have been brought now against uh, Rick Johnson and then uh, two or three separate lobbyists and per- perhaps more people to come? Sure. So it was Rick Johnson is the is the main political person that accepted uh, bribes, uh, and that's the charge. It's bribery, accepting bribery. And the other three lobbyists, well, two lobbyists and one person that we're not quite sure was a lobbyist, but was involved with at least a company that wanted a license. Um, and they are charged with conspiracy to um, give bribes, I guess. I don't know what the, the official word is there, phrase. Um, and that's what they're charged with. Um, and, you know, these, these hold penalties. We don't know if there'll be actual jail time. Everyone in the, all four of these people uh, put in guilty pleas um, and, and got plea deals. So I, I assume they won't get jail time, but we don't know. And, and, you know, something to point out, too, is that, you know, it was $100,000, which, you know, isn't nothing, but it's not a giant amount of money so mm-hmm. far. Right. Um, and so a lot of times this won't even reach the level of the feds. The feds might just be like, that's not enough money for us to care small-level corruption, um, but because of where Rick Johnson was, his past political career, and sort of being an, atop of his board, um, sort of rose to the ranks of, of being in the, in the sights of the, of the feds. Um, but if you look at the industry, I mean, I, I do believe there are going to be more charges to come. I think this was just a sort of a drop in the bucket of what there is. Um, and then I think corruption still exists. It's just maybe been pushed away from the state now to the local levels. Because um, when the state got rid of the the medical marijuana licensing board, they went to a, sort of a more traditional regulatory agency that that did these approvals, um, that had more manpower, was able to scale up a little faster, um, was less easily influenced because they followed sort of just the general guidelines. Um, but the problem is then they they now push that sort of down to the local level because the local level you have to be licensed to operate in a community. Right. Um, right. And so now that position of we can get licensed pretty easily from the state because we're an unlimited licensure state. But whether you can get a license to operate within a community is much more finite. Um, and so now we're seeing all sorts of insane competitive processes exist, things that are easily manipulated. Um, and, and likely, I, I anticipate that at some point we'll see we'll see sort of similar charges um, come about uh, on a local level. Whether that happens from the feds or the AG, I don't know. Yeah, and and you know the I remember uh, when they were. Somebody reached out to me. They're involved in in trying to get the legalization vote uh, for marijuana in general across Michigan. And and for me, I kind of separate these two things for people. It's like, okay, well, we voted to legalize marijuana. We're not – that fight's over. We're not arguing about that. Now we're just talking about the regulatory side. Um, And, you know, you have states that have very strict regulations that kind of invites a lot of this corruption or even if not overt corruption, just you really have to be a major player – um, you had a couple of major marijuana companies or, or players that bankrolled a couple of these ballot proposals really to give themselves a monopoly. I think Michigan's is a lot more open, but yeah, to your point, now the big, you know, the regulatory side is kind of taken care of. We don't have that board. We're down to, uh, you know, just at the local level, which communities are going to have it and, and which are uh, which are not going to have it. Yeah, and you know, in Michigan's system is effective at a lot of things. I think you know, having an unlimited licensure state is probably the most you know, free market quote unquote that we're going to have in this industry. Obviously, the cities have to make that choice for themselves, and that's where it sort of becomes a competitive process in a way where um, there are roadblocks set up that that can invite this sort of behavior. Um, but I mean, the reality is it's the economics are at play here. Um, you know, marijuana prices have tanked, and they've tanked in other unlimited licensure states, and so the, really, there's a big shakeout happening. And so with this shakeout, you know, a lot of the dirt gets kind of dusted up, so to speak. Um, and that's why I think you're seeing more of this is, is a lot more finger pointing happens when um, no one's making money than when everyone's making money. 
Dustin, this we only got a couple minutes left, but this is making me think very clearly of Detroit. I mean, Detroit has had a history of envelopes with cash to to government uh-huh. officials, and uh, and on top of that, a really really uh, kind of bafflingly chaotic start to licensing dispensaries in the city of Detroit. Uh, which has just finally gotten underway, really. Uh, do you anticipate that 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 there's something to be looked at there? I mean, I think there's something to be looked at in every major community. Um, I think I think everyone should be looking at this level of corruption, particularly um, in those big cities. Yes, I mean the way that the city of Detroit was it was tied up with lawsuits. Um, I have no evidence that that someone exchanged. Um, you know, money for bribes. We have. I've heard. You know, plenty of people talk about the existence of it being offered. Um, you know, mm-hmm. that's not pointing at any one of the city council members or anyone in Detroit. Uh, I don't have any evidence that they have done that. Um, but but you know, the whole basically, if you talk to somebody in the industry, it doesn't necessarily mean Detroit or Pontiac or anywhere else. They will tell you, oh, you go, and then all of a sudden you'll have to hire a local lawyer. And that local lawyer's fee will be very high. And it's not because the lawyer's taking the money. It's because right. the lawyer's then greasing the wheel. Um, you know, and a lot of it, it gets beyond that, especially at the local level. It's, okay, well, they have these overlay, you know, districts where, you know, you can only have a marijuana business in this certain area, which really limits where the marijuana business can be. Therefore, it limits how many licenses there are. But then also, like, look who owns that property. Well, maybe it's the brother of a council member. Maybe, you know, and there, there's all of this sort of behavior that, that's definitely out there, but it's not, no one's ever quite linked it. Um, to anything criminal yet. Um, but I certainly think at some point we're going to see some of that. I mean, just on the scale, there, there is going to be some sort of, you know, um, behavior that we would deem illegal. Yeah, so this sounds like uh, these charges that have come out are sort of the tip of the iceberg in Michigan, and we'll see where they go from here. Uh, yeah, it's going to really depend on the appetite of the feds, how much they want to go down this rabbit hole. Yeah. Dustin Walsh with Cranes Detroit. Appreciate you coming on and illuminating uh, uh, these corruption charges and, and how the medical marijuana industry really got its jump start in Michigan. All right, thank you. And we'll be back after a brief break with more of the Mackinac Michigan show here on WJR. <laughs>